You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is the chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, Jericho seemingly secure. Having left Egypt 40 years earlier, the children of Israel have miraculously crossed the Jordan on dry ground. The conquest generation of men have been circumcised, and they celebrated their first Passover in the Promised Land. They looked back to where they have come from and rejoiced that God has kept his promise and has brought them safely to Canaan. God told Abraham that his descendants would return to this land in the fourth generation when the sin of the Amorites had reached its fullness. Now they would be judged. Jericho is an example of Bunyan's city of destruction. This was divine justice, not vengeance by the Israelites on innocent people. It was not theirs to initiate. This was like the time of Noah and the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. This judgment was not capricious. The scriptures and archaeological evidence record the wickedness of the Canaanites. God has said that the soul that sins will die. God is patient, just, and merciful. He had been patient with them for 400 years. He was merciful in sparing Rahab and her family, and now he would judge the people of Jericho justly. Then Joshua was commissioned by the commander of the Lord's hosts. It was time to go. But there seems to be a problem. We're told, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, No one went out, and no one came in. They knew spies had come into their city to conduct reconnaissance and had left with the information about their defences. They knew an attack was imminent. We also know they were terrified. So the city was secured. They did not even allow people to go out to forage for more food, anticipating a long siege. Jericho was an ancient city, predating Abraham by hundreds of years. The city was fortified by a double ring of walls. The outer wall was six feet thick, and the inner wall was twelve feet thick. Timbers were laid across these, which supported houses on the walls. The people of Jericho no doubt trusted in the security of their fortress city. It was built on a hill, so that it could be take, only be taken by mounting a steep incline, which put the Israelites at a disadvantage militarily. To take such a city by conventional means would involve a siege mound and months of waiting while the inhabitants starved before they surrendered. But that was not how God planned for Jericho to fall. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. So God spoke of it in past tense, because it was sure to happen. Before the battle even commences, its outcome is announced. It is his battle. He doesn't need their help, but he will use them. Then he gives a bizarre military strategy. March around uh, the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, 
and the army will go up, everyone straight in. The number seven in scripture signifies completeness. Obeying this command would reveal the Israelites' faith in the word of God. It would also increase the uneasiness of the inhabitants of Jericho, who would see this and wonder what they were doing and what it could possibly mean. When the walls finally fell at God's command, the Israelites who had completely surrounded the city would go in from all sides. There is no record of any hesitation on the part of Joshua to obey this strange command. He relayed the instructions to the priests and soldiers. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the ar army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. So when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. So Joshua added that they were to be silent until it was time to shout, so there would be no confusion as to when to shout. The people of Jericho would see the priests and the ark, so they would know the God of the Israelites was with them, leading them. They would hear the trumpets, but not understand its significance. And Joshua was able to have a restful sleep, knowing God had everything under control, and they didn't need to fear a counterattack in the meantime. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So the people of Jericho would see a point guard of tens of thousands of soldiers, followed by seven priests, then the ark, then a rear guard of tens of thousands of soldiers. So that on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. On the first six days, they marched around the city just once, but the seventh day marked a change. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. So they would have had to wake up early because it would take some time for the large army to march around the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So this shout of triumph in unison expressed the expectation that God would fulfill his promise. And some take this historical event and use it to justify walking around things as part of spiritual warfare. But it didn't work for the Crusaders in 1099 in Jerusalem. Instead we see our weapons as spiritual weapons like prayer. But Joshua gave them a few exceptions and restrictions. 
The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. They would honor the word of the spies to spare Rahab and her family if they remained in their home. And they were reminded to utterly destroy everyone um, else and bring all the valuables or spoils of war out to dedicate them to the Lord. And this stipulation is only for the first city taken uh, in the promised land, symbolizing giving the first and best to God. And this warning sets the stage for what we read later about the sin of Achan. So this complete destruction of everyone in Jericho has led some people to either spiritualize the event, reject it outright, dismiss it as genocide, place a false dichotomy between the angry God of the Old Testament and the loving God of the New Testament, or see it as a foretaste of the final judgment to come. As already mentioned, these were not innocents, but individuals who were ripe for judgment who had failed to repent in the 400 years of grace God had given them. It was the just judgment of God using the Israelites as his weapon, and it was also an example in small measure of the final judgment by this God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And this was a complete miracle by God, happening when he said it would happen and in the way he said it would happen. And I've heard various explanations to remove the supernatural from this event, such as an earthquake. But it doesn't say God used an earthquake, even though he could have if he wanted to, since the world is his to use as he wishes. The walls fell because, after the seventh time around the city, the trumpet sounded long and the people shouted, and God caused the walls to crumble as if they were made of sand. And this was the second miracle God performed in Canaan. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. So these two men knew where her house was located and so there would be no mistake they were tasked with securing Rahab and her family to safety outside the camp of Israel before everything else was destroyed. 
the part of the wall where her home was must not have fallen before they were removed safely. They were put outside the camp because they were Gentiles, and there was a process to bring, bringing them in if that was what was desired. Deuteronomy 21, 10-14 And the romantic in me likes to think that one of those unnamed spies was Salmon, who would become Rahab's husband. I like to think he was impressed with her faith, and this episode bound them together. I'm sure as the Israelites marched around the city, Rahab checked and rechecked that it was uh, the rope was still there and clearly visible, for her life would soon depend upon its being seen. Like Noah, her faith was so strong that she was able to convince her family uh, to come and stay with her. Every one of them was spared. Compare that to Lot, whose sons-in-law mocked him when he warned them of the coming judgment. And it seems Joshua didn't need the report of the spies in order to know to attack the city. So why were they sent? Because the sovereign God was searching out a particular woman to be saved. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. When the ancient site of Jericho was excavated, there was evidence of a burn layer dated to the spring because of the grains found there, which agrees with the biblical record. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. So Rahab and her whole family were spared, but the comment that she lives among the Israelites to this day instead of they lived implies that she alone had faith. The rest of her family were spared from death, but had no desire to be a part of the nation that had destroyed their city. They likely moved to another town in Canaan, only to be attacked later by Israel. So this chapter shows both gracious salvation and horrific judgment. At that time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son he will lay its foundations, at the cost of his youngest he will set up its gates. So God through Joshua cursed anyone who would rebuild the city he destroyed. It lay in ruins for 400 years, and while the area around it was later occupied to some extent, as we see in 2 Samuel 10.5, during the reign of King Ahab, a man named Hiel rebuilt Jericho and experienced this curse by losing his eldest and youngest sons. 1 Kings 16.34 says, In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So we don't know the circumstances of the death of his sons, whether he sacrificed them or whether they were killed tragically in the construction of the city, but the word of God was fulfilled either way. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land.
and this fulfilled God's word that he would be with Joshua. He became famous in the land and began to fear the Israelites. People began to fear the Israelites. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? The time had come for the judgment of the Amorites, whose iniquity had reached its full measure. God is patient, giving opportunity to repent. But soon the day of grace will be over and judgment will fall. A greater Joshua will bring judgment to a wicked world that refuses to repent. God promised that Jericho would not stand. He also promised that sin would no longer be our master, controlling us. This battle plan would seem foolish to anyone who did not have faith in the word of God. The preaching of the gospel appears as foolishness to unbelievers. Joshua got up early to obey. Whenever you see the phrase, got up early in scripture, see what follows it. Sometimes it is to obey, as here, and in Genesis 22.3. Other times it is to disobey, Exodus 32.6. And Jesus got up early to pray alone. So the ark, a symbol of God's presence and the atonement, were central to the victory. And this points to Jesus, who is God with us, and whose atoning death gives us the victory. And although the victory was God's, the people had to demonstrate faith in his word and stick close to the ark. Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. The trumpets sounded long and were followed by a shout to signal the victory to come. Balaam's prophecy predicted their coming king, the Messiah. Numbers 23.21 says, No misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. And Zechariah 9.9 tells the people, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this referred to Jesus' first triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The Feast of Trumpets pointed forward to a future date when Christ returns and gathers all his people at the sound of a trumpet and a shout. Jesus' voice is like a trumpet, as we see in Revelation. And trumpets will signal the end times. Also, Isaiah compares preaching to the blowing of a trumpet. Imagine the noise when the f walls of Jericho fell. But at the end, God will shake the heavens and the earth. How terrifying it must have been for the people of Jericho to see the wrath of God advancing toward them and be unable to escape it. This is the horrible situation of the unsaved, even if they are unaware of it. And when they finally become aware of it, it is too late. Words cannot express the greatness of the terror they will feel or the anguish of regret they will experience for all of eternity. If only they would heed the warning now to flee the wrath to come, as Rahab did. Rahab and all who were with her in her house were saved. Everyone else was lost. All who are in Christ will be saved, and all those outside of him are lost. God saved an unlikely person from the city of destruction, 
and she had the honor of becoming the ancestor of King David and later of Jesus Christ. Rahab and Salmon had a son, Boaz, and Boaz was the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of King David. And from the line of King David and from the tribe of Judah came the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. That's from Francine Rivers' book, Lineage of Grace. So her faith, Rahab's, is praised in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And James uses her as an example of faith in action. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? And the curse pronounced on whoever rebuilt Jericho came true even after hundreds of years because God means what he says. And this shows that Joshua was also a prophet. Even if we forget the sins of our past, God doesn't forget, and he will bring all things into the light and judge them. Joshua's fame spread throughout the land. Jesus was popular among the people, which led to envy by his enemies. The walls of Jericho fell with a resounding uh, crash as if they were made of sand. Jesus says that if uh, we don't build our lives on him, it's like building on sand, and great will be the fall of that house. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Joshua chapter 7. May God bless the study of his word.